Thank you for that special. The music's been good tonight. Amen? Amen. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 32 tonight. Numbers chapter 32. I'm going to be speaking tonight on a topic that I'm very passionate about, and that is influence. And most of the teenagers in here, they, they know what I mean when I say I'm passionate about something because they've heard me go on many a rant on how crucial and important influence is. Uh, I touched on this topic almost a year ago in a men's prayer devotional, uh, but I've been wanting to elaborate on it a little bit more because it is a, a very important topic. So some of this may sound uh, familiar to some of you men and to some of you teenagers, but nonetheless, it's a good reminder to all of us. So that is my, my warning, by the way, to the men and the teenagers. Uh, I ha it's a short message tonight, but... Uh, if I see you checking out, I'm just gonna I'm gonna keep it going and keep you here all night if I have to. All right, I'm just I'm just joking. Um, but Numbers 32. If you're there, please stand with me. And let's begin reading in verse number one. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of cattle, and when they saw that the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that behold. The place was a place for cattle. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spake unto Moses and unto Eleazar the priest and unto the princes of the congregation, saying, and we can skip down to verse number four, even the country which the Lord smote before the congregation of Israel is a land for cattle, and thy servants have cattle. Wherefore said they, if we have found grace in thy sight, let this land be given unto thy servants for possession and bring us not over Jordan." And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? In these verses we can see two things. A seemingly innocent request from two tribes of Israel and a very heated response from Moses. A response that, unless you dig a little bit deeper into the chapter, might compel one to ask the question, what's the big deal? And that's the question that we're going to answer tonight. But I'll give you a hint. It has something to do with influence. Thank you. Please be seated. What's the big deal? So to answer this question, we're going to use a technique that has become a favorite of mine since I became a teacher, and that is answering a question with more questions. It's fantastic. I love it. And these are questions that are more so for us to ask ourselves in order to see how we're handling the influence in our lives and make sure that we're being good stewards of it. So let's start it off with the first question. Question number one, who are you influencing? We're going to dig pretty deep into this chapter quite a bit tonight, but I want us to first look at that question that Moses asks in verse, uh, in verse number six. Shall your brethren go to war and shall ye sit here? Now, in order for us to grasp 
this, we need to know what this war that, that Moses is referring to is. Okay, so let's take a step back here and get the context of this passage. These verses take place just a few months before the children of Israel finally cross over the Jordan River and go to, to war to claim the promised land that they should have claimed 40 years ago. Well, why didn't they claim this land 40 years ago? Well, because as is customary with the children of Israel, and as we say here in the South, they done messed up. They chose to save their own skin, to disobey God 40 years ago back in Kadesh Barnea when he commanded them to pass over the Jordan River and claim the promised land. And they chose to not believe God when he said that he would give them the victory over the giants that were in that land. And as a result of that disobedience and unbelief, what was Israel? Uh, Israel was made to wander in the wilderness for 40 years while everyone that was 20 years old and up died. Except, of course, for Caleb and Joshua. We, we know that. So, going back to Numbers chapter 32, this war that Moses is referring to here, this is not some little skirmish along the way. The, the war that he's talking about, shall your brethren go to war and shall ye sit here in verse 6, that's not this little, little battle that is a progression on the way to, to the promised land. No, this is the war that he's talking about. Uh, this, is, this war is the fulfillment of a promise that is hundreds of years in the making. In other words, this war that Moses is referring to is the will of God. That is what they're called to do at the moment. Cross over the Jordan, go to war, claim the land. But we have a slight problem in these verses that we read. We have here these two tribes, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad. They are a part of Israel. They're two of the, of the 12 tribes of Israel. And right now, all of Israel has one collective mission. And that mission is to cross over the Jordan River, go to war, and claim the land that God told them to claim. That is all of Israel's mission. But what we see here is that the children of Reuben and the children of Gad are seemingly not concerned with the mission. We see in verse uh, number one that both of these tribes had a very great multitude of cattle. And they're currently stopped in this land, the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead. And they see that this land is very good and suitable for the amount of cattle that they have. So you might be thinking, okay, what's the big deal? I, I don't see the problem here. If they have a lot of cattle and the land that they're in is perfect for raising a lot of cattle, then what's the problem with them wanting that land? What's the problem with them going off and doing their own thing? The problem is, that's not what God wanted. See, God's plan was for all of Israel, all of Israel to go into and remain in the promised land. And Moses knows this, and after hearing this request, he says in verse 6, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. What are you guys doing? Your brothers are going to go to war and you're just going to sit here and do nothing? What's wrong with you? And he continues in, in verse 7, and this is what I want to get at for, the, for this first point. And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? In other words, why are you discouraging the rest of Israel from following the will of God. Now let's pause here for a second. Do you think that this conversation is currently going any, anything, any way that these men thought that it would at the moment? No, it's, it's not. 
they, they, they thought they were coming with an innocent request and now they're just, they're, it, it's, getting, it's getting heated. And trust me, uh, we're going to get further into Moses' response and it gets much, much worse. At this point, I imagine there's a lot going through the minds of these men uh, and they're probably thinking, what in the world is this guy talking about? How is our choice to stay on this side of Jordan and claim this land going to discourage the rest of the country? Well, we're going to get into that in a little bit, but Moses is making a very clear point here in verse 7. And that is that our personal decisions as individuals amongst a body of believers like we have right here do not just affect ourselves. Unfortunately, None of us have the luxury of choosing who is or is not influenced by our actions. You see, so often we think the opposite of that, that our personal decisions will only affect ourselves. Oh, it's just me. It's not affecting anybody else. But that is not what Moses saw here. When these two tribes wanted to slip away from the group and do their own thing, Moses didn't say, oh, it's just two tribes. We still got 10 more. He didn't say any of that. He said that the actions of the two will greatly affect the other ten. That the choice of the two will literally discourage the remaining ten from following the will of God. So when I ask the question, who are you influencing? The reality is that if you're a part of this body, if you're a part of Canaan Baptist Church, whether you like it or not, you are influencing the whole body. And your decisions never only affect just you. And now that we've established that, that brings us to our next question. And that is, how are you influencing? How are you influencing? Unfortunately, just because you have influence, that doesn't make you a good influence. And we see in these verses the decisions of these, uh, of these tribes to not be a part of the collective effort was indeed a bad influence on the rest of Israel. So much so that in the following verses, Moses just starts verbally ripping these men to shreds uh, over it. So let's, let's take a look at that. Let's, let's see what's happening here. Let's go back to verse number six and pick up there. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war? And shall ye sit here? And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them? Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up unto the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. And the Lord's anger was kindled the same time, and he sware, saying, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from twenty years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not followed, they have not wholly followed me. Save Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, and Joshua the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. And behold, ye are risen up in your father's stead, an increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. For if ye turn away from after him, he will yet again leave them in the wilderness, and ye shall destroy all this people." Ouch. 
<laughs> I guarantee you that is not what these men were expecting to hear. And now you can understand the title of the message. What's the big deal? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot there, a lot to unpack. I mean, all these poor guys wanted to do is just get a nice plot of land because it will be beneficial to them. What's so wrong with that? They have a lot of cattle, and this land has the potential to be life-changing for them in raising and growing their herds, but they bring this request to Moses, and he just absolutely obliterates them. I mean, talk about rebuke. After this, to no one's surprise, the two tribes decide to reword their request. They say in the following verses, we never intended to not cross over the Jordan and fight, Moses. We just meant that while we're here now, we'll build fences for our cattle and houses for our wives and children, and then we'll cross over the Jordan and fight to conquer the land with you. And once we've done that, we'll cross back over. Now, whether those were their true intentions from the beginning or not, I couldn't tell you. And I've read commentaries that believe that this was their initial intention and commentaries that disagree and say that this wasn't their initial intention. Um, I personally tend to believe that this wasn't their intention. And uh, that's just because after reading verse 5 where they say, and bring us not over Jordan, that to me sounds a lot like they never intended on going over in the first place. But Let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say that those were their original intentions, that their intentions were to, uh, to always cross over the Jordan, fight to conquer the land, and then come back over Jordan uh, to, to the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead. Let's, let's assume that. Even with assuming that, there's still a very large underlying problem. These men, the, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, they took their eyes off of what God had for them. And instead, they shifted their focus to themselves, to their needs, to their desires. And when they did that, God's will was no longer good enough for them. What do I mean by that? Some people make, make the argument that maybe this was the land that God intended for them in the first place. Maybe the, the Transjordan, which is the land that we're talking about, the, the land on the eastern side of the Jordan River, maybe that was all part of the promised land. Uh, or at least maybe God decided to make it part of the promised land after they decided that they want this land. But the problem with that is that the Bible does not give any indication of this, although uh, there are several people that do argue that point. Never in the Bible does it describe any of the land on the eastern side of the Jordan River as part of the promised land. And God never made it a part of the promised land. And just to solidify that, think back to Numbers chapter 20, a very familiar story that, that most of us in here would know. Where God tells Moses to speak to the rock and it will bring water out of it, right? Uh, we, we know that story. But instead, what does Moses do to the rock? He smites it. He smites it twice. Is that what God asked him to do? No, absolutely not. So, what does God tell Moses as a result of his disobedience? In Numbers 20, verse 12, he says, Ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them, i.e., the promised land. What's my point here? If the land that the children of Reuben and Gad were asking for was part of God's intended and promised will for them, then Moses would not have been allowed to be standing there in the first place like he already is in Numbers 32. So this land was not part of the land that was promised to Israel. And that is a very important point. That is no moot point. 
Is that to say that the, this land was not good enough or this land was not good at all? No, obviously not. It was good land. We, we see that from, from these men. They would know they have a lot of cattle. They know what kind of land would be good for raising cattle. But the problem comes whenever we put more stock in what we think is best for us rather than what God says is best for us. And the children of Reuben and Gad believed that the land that they chose was better than what God had planned for them on the other side of Jordan. So that's what it boils down to here. Selfishness and unbelief. And you can see now why Moses reacts the way that he does. Because despite the heartache and the, and the sorrow that the children of Israel have brought Moses over the past 40 years, he still loves and cares for them. And because he loves them, he's not content with them settling for anything less than the will of God. And better than anyone else, Moses knows how the selfish and unbelieving influence of a few can turn the hearts of many from following the will of God because it happened 40 years ago in Kadesh Barnea. So we're looking at how we influence. If we influence out of selfishness and unbelief, it's going to cause a lot of problems. And that brings us to our last point. And that is point number three or question number three. Where will that influence take them? Moses ends his response to these men with two very strong statements. According to Moses, this is where the influence of selfishness and unbelief of just two tribes of Israel will eventually take the whole nation. Look back at verse 14. And behold, ye are risen up in your father's stead. You're taking your father's place. An increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. For if ye turn away from after him, he will yet again leave them in the wilderness and ye shall destroy all this people. So what's the end result? Where will this poor influence take the children of Israel? Destruction. He says that that's where your influence will take them. If you, in your selfishness and unbelief, turn away from God, then he will leave them in the wilderness once again, and you will be held responsible for destroying your people. Now, you might read that and think, where did tur turn away from God? Where did he get that from? They, they just wanted a different piece of land. They're just trying to do what they thought would be best for themselves and their families. They never said they were going to stop worshiping God. They, they never said they were going to stop offering sacrifices. But now you're telling me that all because of a measly piece of land, that is enough to bring destruction to the rest of Israel? That seems unfair. Maybe it does. And frankly kind of at a loss for words because I don't have the answer to that one. I, I, I don't have a good reason as to why this is the case other than I'm not God and neither are you. His ways are, are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And as I said before, none of us have the luxury of choosing who is or is not influenced by our actions, nor do we choose their consequences for following our influence. But there's something else that you don't get to choose. You don't get to choose when God's will is enough for you. He already made that decision for you. 
It is. You only get to choose whether you will accept it or reject it. And any time you choose to reject any part of the will of Almighty God, you are indeed turning away from him. So whenever Moses says, for if ye turn away from after him, he's saying that with good reason. We need to remember Proverbs 12, 15. That says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. So anytime we choose our way over God's way, the Bible calls us a fool. And the Bible has many warnings for the fool and those that associate with him. Turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 13. Right? Remember, we're talking about influence. And we're bringing it all together now. I told you it wasn't a very long message. What's the big deal? Why is this so important? Proverbs chapter 13. We're going to look at this. Proverbs chapter 13. Look at verse number 20 with me. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. But a companion of fools shall be, what's the word? Destroyed. See, we often look at that verse from the perspective of the one being influenced, right? You, you are who you choose to surround yourself with is how we often interpret that verse. So surround yourself with wise men and you will be wise. And don't make friends with fools or you will be destroyed. And that's not wrong. That's a, a correct way to interpret that, that passage of scripture. But I challenge you tonight to not look at that verse only from the perspective of the one being influenced, but from the perspective of the influencer. And when you do that, you can read it this way. You hold influence. You, you can either walk in the way of wisdom or you can walk in the way of a fool. But just so you know, that, just know that whichever path you choose to go down People will follow you, people that you love, people that you care about, people that look up to you. And where they end up depends on which path you choose to take. If you walk the path of wisdom, following the will of God every step of the way, you will lead them to wisdom. But if you walk the path of foolishness, picking and choosing which parts of the will of God that you want to follow and rejecting other parts, then you will lead them to destruction. Two very different ways of interpreting that verse. And the word of God has plenty of examples for both of them. I don't have time to go deep into it tonight, but the story of King Joash in 2 Chronicles 24 illustrates this verse perfectly. You don't have to turn there. Joash began reigning in Jerusalem when he was just seven years old. And in verse 2 of, of that chapter, it says that Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Notice how it didn't say all the days of his life like it usually does whenever it's talking about a king of Israel. But instead it says, all the days of Jehoiada, the priest. Well, who is he? To make a long story short, Jehoiada was like a father to Joash. From the time Joash began to reign as a little seven-year-old boy, Jehoiada was there helping him and giving him wise and godly counsel. And as long as Joash walked with the wise Jehoiada and was influenced by him, Joash was a wise and godly king that did right in the eyes of the Lord. Unfortunately, the story does not end there. 
Jehoiada eventually dies, and Joash is left without a guide or a mentor. That is until the princes of Judah come along, and the Bible says that Joash hearkened unto them. Now Joash is the one being influenced here, remember. And due to the companionship and influence of these, uh, of these um, uh, princes of, of Judah, these fools, the once great king Joash plunges Israel into idolatry and even orders the death of a man named Zechariah. And Zechariah was the very son of his former friend and mentor, Jehoiada. You read that chapter and you're just thinking, how did he go from this to this? Joash was being influenced by such a great man and, and he was doing great things for God. And then that man dies, that influence is taken out of his life, and then somebody else comes in and takes his place. But that person, those people that took Jehoiada's place were not as wise and as godly as he, rather they were fools. And they influenced Joash to fall into idolatry. And whenever prophets were coming to Joash to, to rebuke him for the idolatry that he was plunging Israel into, Joash didn't like hearing uh, the, the rebuke that he was receiving, and so he orders the death of the man that is calling him out on his sin. Now he has influence, and he orders the death of his once father-like figure's son. And the reign of Joash ends with God, exacting judgment upon Judah and Jerusalem for forsaking the Lord God of their fathers, just as Joash led them to. And shortly after, the once great King Joash is murdered by his own servants. And his story ends with both he and the country being destroyed. So the, the word of God is not joking, nor is it speaking hyperbolically when it says that the companion of fools will be destroyed. And unfortunately, there are many more examples but we have an opportunity for the alternative. We don't have to walk in the way of foolishness and we don't have to lead others to destruction. We can walk in the way of wisdom and lead others to it as well, but how do we do that? How do we stay away from the destruction of the fool? Well, you can think back to Kadesh Barnea and it's mentioned here in, this, in Numbers chapter 32. The same way that Caleb and Joshua stayed away from it. The same way that they stayed away from the poor influence of few that led their entire nation into destruction in the wilderness over the next 40 years. They were spared. And they did it by, as Numbers 32.12 says, they wholly followed the Lord. And it is quite literally that simple. Holy follow the Lord. So what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that God places great importance on influence. It literally has the power to either build people up or tear them down. And the reason I'm, I'm so passionate about this matter of influence is because growing up at my old church, I had several guys that I looked up to. And these were, these were 
Guys that whenever I was a, a you know, puny and wimpy little, little 12-year-old, 11-year-old kid, I was looking up to these guys because they were the cool teenagers. And they, oh man, they, they were just awesome. I looked at them and I, I wanted to be like them, man. It was, it was like they were, they were so special to me. You know, these were men that seemed to be on fire for God, men that I admired, men that I wanted to be like, and men that I considered my brothers. You know, I, I did everything as, as, as similar to them as I possibly could. I went out of my way to start acting like them. I dressed like them. I talked like them. I, I started doing the same hobbies as them. And many of you know I used to do, you know, backflips and all of those crazy things. And my, my joints are, are very much protesting against me because of that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, the only reason I ever started doing that was because they started doing it first and I wanted to be like them. But as time went by, just like the men in this passage, they shifted their focus away from what God had for them. And they began to focus more on what they wanted. And one by one, they began to drop off. They began to fall out. They began to turn away. And I remember one day as a, a 17 or 18-year-old kid, I was, I was walking out of a church service down in Miami, and... I just noticed, I was just standing in the parking lot and they were all gone. And I, I didn't know where half of them were now. I didn't know what half of them were doing. But almost every single one of them was out of church at this point and living the life that they wanted to live. And I remember standing outside the church building and just asking myself, what happened? Where are my brothers? Where are the, the men that I looked up to? Where were the people that, that I looked to for influence? Those guys, they, they lost sight of their mission. They lost sight of their purpose. They lost sight of God's goal for them. They started picking and choosing which parts of God's will they wanted to follow. And over time, they just completely turned away from him. Because that's what it leads to. You can't just pick and choose what you want without running the risk of eventually just saying, I don't want any part of it at all now. You know what? They did that, and their decisions did not only affect themselves. Their decisions affected me. I was just a young teenager at the time, and I can tell you the... The, the word that, that Moses uses in, in uh, chapter 32 and verse 7, and wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel. That word discourage, if you look it up, it means why are you breaking the heart of, of Israel? Why are you breaking the heart of these people that you're supposed to love? And I can tell you that the, the, whenever those men in my life decided to run away from God, that discouraged me. It hurt me to see them go. And now I was no longer going to church because I wanted to grow. Because I quickly found out that that fire that they said that they had for God was nothing more than a mask that they put up to look good for everybody else in the church. Or I wasn't going to church because I wanted to fellowship with my brothers anymore because they were all gone. I was only going to church because my parents dragged me there. And I'm grateful for that. But that ought not be the reason we go to church. It's because we're being dragged and pulled. Amen. That discouraged stayed with me 
for a long time. But I didn't realize just how much it affected me until I was in their position, until I became the influencer. And now I was the young adult and I noticed the little 10 and 12 year old boys beginning to gravitate towards me. I, I uh, was the assistant coach of the football team at the academy that my church had. And I was around those boys a lot. And I, I noticed they started uh, to, to talk like me. They started dressing like me and they started listening to the same garbage music that I was listening to and watching the same garbage media that I was watching and doing the same foolish things that I did. And you know what? It scared me to death. Why? Because I remembered the influence that those men had over me and how badly they hurt me with it. And I did not want to do that to these boys because I love them. Amen. And I'm not bitter towards any of those, any of those men, but it's just something that I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about because I understand the, the gravity. I, I, I felt it. I, I know what it did to me, and it scares me to do the same thing to those men, or to, to, to boys that are coming after me, or any young children that are coming after me. It wasn't very long after that that we moved here, that we moved to, to Georgia, uh, and the Lord, uh, Lord's people said, amen. Uh, Georgia is so much better than, than Florida, I'll tell you what. Um, sorry, yeah, right? <laughs> uh, had, to, had to make sure it was, it was okay with First Lady. <laughs> well, Yep. As I started uh, making friends here and getting more involved, I noticed again my influence. And th the thing with influence is, you, you, like I said, you don't have a choice. You, you just are you and, and people begin to, to gravitate towards you. That happens to everybody. You don't get the, a, a say. You can't tell a little kid this, to just, no, don't be influenced by me, little boy. No, they're going to be influenced by you. You can't do anything about it. But I noticed that and I, I told myself and I told God, I will not be the influence that I had. God, by, by your grace, I will not be responsible for leading these children away from you because that scares me to death. And that's when I began looking at Proverbs 13, 20 very differently because I'll, I'll tell you, I do not want to be guilty of making fools and I do not want to be guilty of destroying men. And by no means am I saying that I've always been the perfect influencer or that I'm the perfect influence right now. Obviously, that's not the case. None of us are. But we each need to understand the gravity of what's at stake here. Our actions do not only affect ourselves. The Word of God describes us, the church, as a body. And a healthy body is supposed to function as a synchronized unit that's working together to perform a, a, a purpose, to accomplish a purpose. But when a part of that body just decides to stop working, it decides to stop functioning as was intended, when it decides to detach itself, when it says, I'm not doing this anymore, it never brings good results. It always affects the rest of the body negatively. You know, I, I think about um, I think about Miss Christie and the back pain that she has. You know, you got this this one area of your body, this this one area of your back 
that is just rebelling, that is just contrary to the rest of the body. And what is the result of it? Well, as I have heard, it's excruciating pain. It's difficult to move. It brings nothing but, but pain and discomfort to the rest of the body. And we can go all throughout this room. I know there are several infirmities that we can go through, that, that we can talk about, that we can bring uh, to the light uh, to see that just one little part of the body causes so much pain in the rest. The difference here is that we can't really control when our physical bodies decide to rebel against us. But how sad is it when we choose to influence the body of Christ in a way that brings destruction and pain. And you can always trace it back to selfishness and unbelief. I don't care what God says is good for me. I don't care what the rest of the body thinks. I don't care about the rest of the body. I'm going to do what I want to do. And we don't even realize that you need that body to survive in the first place. Let that not be said of our church. We each have an opportunity to see the body of Christ functioning in unity as God intended if we individually make the choice to wholly follow the Lord our God just as Caleb and Joshua did back in Kadesh Barnea whenever nobody else was. When we do that, he will make us into the wise influencers that we need to be. You know, just like the Israelites, we're all supposed to be on this, this mission together. We have a collective mission as a body of Christ. The body doesn't go and do different things in different areas. and It stays together. It stays unified. And that, that, that goal is the, the image of Jesus Christ. That, image, uh, that, that goal is us being transformed daily, walking uh, with God and following after him wholeheartedly with everything that we've got and being transformed into the image of God and then going out and telling other people about him and adding to the body. Yes, we have our own race to run. We each have our own individual race, but the end goal is the same. And the thing is, with that end goal, we are either leading others to the finish line, to Christ's likeness, or we're causing them to run away from it. And dare I say, that is a pretty big deal. Let's all stand.